At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Olympic here the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. I'm having phenomenal guests in studio today that I cannot wait for her to share her story. She is a mover and shaker that is making so much global footprint and impact. She is film producer, um, she's award-winning film producer, and she did uh, tremendous work uh, in documentary arena. She also is very well known in YouTube world and with great um, impact that she created there. And now with tremendous impact that she's creating on LinkedIn and other social media. She is uh, someone that has expertise in creating global movements. I'm sure all of us cannot wait to learn more and also influence and impacting people globally through education and technology and techniques that she can only do. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Amanda Kazi-Cryer. Hey, Amanda, how are you? Hi, Isabella. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you and for everybody that have a chance to see some of your snippets of information, but don't necessarily know you, now they're going to have a chance and opportunity to really get to know you. Um, so first of all, you are joining us from Atlanta. And how is the world in Atlanta these days? It is. It's nice. It's nice. The weather's cooled down, so it's getting a little bit. I mean, we don't really have harsh winters here, but it's definitely getting colder. The summers here are extremely warm. So it's nice to have that uh, the humidity dissipate a bit and to move into the fall. Uh, I love fall. Autumn is one of my favorite seasons, definitely. That's nice. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you in the hemp of very diverse actually city and reason I'm mentioning that because Atlanta and um, just Georgia itself uh, has a lot of growth, a lot of shifts and change. Um, and specifically movements that are being sprung from there and that are still happening. And you're known as someone who unites humanity. So do you mind sharing how all this started? Sure, thank you, thank you. So it started, um, I mean, I've been marching for about 20 years. <laughs> and one of my favorite things is there's a meme of this, this little girl, and I'm sure you've seen it, Isabella, and she has a sign. And she says, I can't believe we're still marching for this crap. She uses a different word than crap, but you know, I'm just going to say crap for 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 this for this these purposes. Um, but I've been I've been involved in activism work for a couple of decades, uh, but I really started to take it very seriously back in 2008 when I met my mentor. Uh, her name is Dr. Monica Sharma. She is the former director director of capacity and leadership development at the United Nations, and she was with the United Nations for close to 25 years. And uh, she resigned, and now she is still delivering these programs all over the world to bring people together, to unite people, and to really co-create uh, the next global change makers. I've been working with her since since then, 
uh, off and on, and I often coach many of her workshops uh, based in, in, in different areas of activism that people want to be involved in, whether it be the environment, education reform, mental health, uh, justice reform, human trafficking, um, genital mutilation, um, you name it. I mean, the food, homelessness and poverty, we work with people, leading change makers and emerging change makers that want to make a difference in any of those areas and many, many more media as well. Um, and then her and I are going to be co-leading a course together for media professionals coming up in 2024. That's how it all started. That's fantastic. So obviously uh, two decades of uh, opportunity to make a global impact, which you did in so many different ways. But also you are adding another tool. You're creating some really amazing documentaries. Do you mind sharing how did you add that addition to um, your your range of skill sets and one of your some of your favorite projects that you completed so far? Well, filmmaking is what I've been doing for most of my life. So it's uh, it's I've been working in the media industry for about 25 years. And I was I wanted to be a producer, so that was really what I wanted to get into. And then I moved into to directing and writing as well. Um, right now, two projects that I'm working on are documentaries. One is, ba is based on mass incarceration in the prison industrial complex. And uh, Dr. Yusuf Salam, who is part of the Exonerated Five, the Central Park Five, is featured very prominently in the documentary, as is Kate um, Basha. She's the president of the National Incarceration Association. And then Kit Cummings, who is the author of the new Convict Code and Peace Behind the Wire. So that really is a documentary um, looking at the state of the prison system and how it's become a it's become a system of retribution instead of rehabilitation. And so it's not serving anyone. And we're looking at ways to create a systemic change with that. Not saying that we have to throw out prisons. None of us are saying that in the documentary. None of us that are working together. We're working with uh, government officials on both sides of the political lines, Democrats and Republicans, to really find a way to come up with solutions so that people aren't that. Let me just say something like, Right now, for the first time in history, more than 50% of the prison population is 25 years or younger. And so we have a real, there's a real issue going on. And Kit Cummings actually just told me that statistics the other day. And it was jarring for me to learn that. So what we've what we've realized is that there's there's an actual school to pipeline prison happening, as well as a foster care uh, situation to prison pipeline happening too. So we're looking at addressing it at many different entry points and looking at how we can put more effective services in place for young, the younger generation to learn from um, older, older people that have, that have done time, that have, have learned from whatever it is that, that they've gone through. And we want them to mentor the younger generation in how to perhaps not make the same mistakes that they did um, and we found personally that the best people to mentor the younger generation are the guys that have been through it. It's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to, to, to have everyone view um, returning citizens that way. Um, some, there's, you know, there's some biases that go around with, well, if you've been to prison, 
you know, you're sort of guilty for the rest of your life, or it's not like if you make a mistake and you go to prison, you know, and you do your time, you can come home and you're considered, you know, an innocent human being. This digital uh, punishment that, that follows you around for the rest of your life causes people to have certain judgments about you and maybe not see you as valuable parts of society. And we say something different. We believe something different. We believe that even if you've made mistakes and you've gone to prison and you've done your time and you you want to make a difference now with the younger generation, we really want that to happen. So that's part of what the documentary is about, is really empowering um, the men and women that have gone to prison to work with the younger generation, to, to really you know work with them side by side, like big brothers and big sisters, to make sure that they don't make the same mistakes or go down the same road. I love that. That's such an important aspect in our society. And you're right, it's such alarming statistics that change the makeup of what used to be uh, and also initiatives and things that have been done. And we still have a system that failed so many that were wrongly convicted, just served uh, almost life sentence or a long-term sentence. And after that, uh, just could not know how to simulate and integrate in society, a little on younger generation. Kudos for the vision and desire to do that. Um, how did you start to get interested in this topic? Because it's like everything you've been doing uh, are the very um, jolting, very impactful, and obviously very needed topics to be addressed. You mentioned human trafficking. You mentioned uh, work with, uh, obviously, uh, people in prison system and changing that uh, for better ways and outcomes for society. So since like you're always addressing some really deep, profound topics, how you choose your topic? It's, you know, I really, I mean, I care about so many different things. Uh, you know, I, I care about uniting men and women, and I care about uniting humanity. And sometimes, it, so to answer your question, how do I choose a topic? I don't, I'm not really sure exactly how I choose it. It's more that it's whatever speaks to me on, on a, a heart level. So, I mean, when I, when I start to co-create something with, with, with the people that I work with or with anybody that I'm collaborating with, I look at what it is that I stand for first and foremost. And my stand, who I am is I stand for compassion, dignity, and equity for myself and all others. And so anytime I see that those things are not being created in, in a system and they're not, and everyone is not experiencing those things, then a fire lights inside me. And I say, okay, well, how can we ensure that compassion, dignity, and equity is being created for all people in all, all, all of these systems that may or may not be working? Um, so, you know, when it comes to homelessness and poverty and mental health and addiction, we see a lot of those same biases going on with people not getting, not having access to effective care, um, and, and that's it's perpetuating these 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 stigmas that are going along because it's when we're not getting effective care for the things that we need, especially mental health, for just an example we're having to deal with these things on our own and not having any support system in place to know how we can manage what we're dealing with. And so we start to get wrapped up in, in the stigmas that are being pushed by many media outlets. I mean, there's narratives that go around constantly, um, unfortunately, 
about how we should view ourselves and think about ourselves if we're dealing with a mental health challenge or mental health issue. And so we it's 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 difficult to understand well where do we go for the support, you know, and and even looking at movies and television shows and things like that, even though I think we've 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 progressed in the area of moving away from biases and moving away from stigma, we've definitely made some progress in that area. We're still not quite there. And, you know, even activism in itself is still supporting, is still coming from a place of a of quite a divisive narrative, quite an us versus them narrative. So even yeah. when we look at being activists for mental health, for homelessness and poverty, for justice reform, for prison reform, for um, men and women, for uh, you know addiction, whatever we're we're being advocates for, we also have to really look inside of ourselves and saying like, when we're designing our projects and designing what we're working on, where are we coming from? Are we coming from a divisive narrative in our heart? Because as humans we sort of have that that's already there and we have to really look at how do we move from that space into a heart space which is about like what do we really stand for for humanity and once we get really clear with that then we can create what we're doing we can design it in a certain way where it comes where that's the foundation so everything that i work on and how i choose what i work on to answer your question is that if i see anything that if i see compassion, dignity, and equity missing in something, that's when I know that's what I want to work on. That's beautiful. And, and it really tells, because as you said, all of these causes are interconnected and they're codependent on one another in terms of changing the either system or, or raising awareness or educating people. And since like you leverage and utilizing the tools which was beautiful to uh, outreach and share that with the masses. So obviously um, you are creating not only, obviously partner with the existing change makers, but you're also uh, creating and emerging change makers. Do you mind for everybody watching and listening, tell your version what the change maker means to you and, and why it's so important for us to have a more change makers that can support and, and make a difference on with these causes and beyond. Yes, and you are a change maker, Isabella. <laughs> You're a huge change maker and leader. It's you. uh it you know the thing is that we're all we're all change makers. It, there's there's no, you know, I mean sure there's a lot of change makers who are more well known than some of us, but there are so many of us. I mean, first of all, every one of us has the innate ability to be a change maker. We all have that power within us to be that. Whether or not we choose to step into that to be that is a different thing, and it's neither right or wrong. We each have our goal in life, and you know, wherever our journey is taking us, that's where we're going. But we definitely, I see the, I see that in every single person that that I that I meet, I see a global change maker in everybody that I that I meet, every single person. Um, and, and sometimes that's not what people choose to do. I mean, it's definitely a lot of work to commit to wanting to make a real change in an area and not just sort of, I mean, I would say that a lot of people are out there in the world really creating change on, on, a, on, on, a, on a surface level. They're addressing a lot of symptoms, which is very, very important. It's not, I don't mean to say that that's not, that's very important. It has to be addressed. 
Um, and then there's a lot of other people who are addressing the, the systems in which perpetuate those symptoms. So we're looking at root causes, then, then systems, and then also symptoms. So we have to sort of address all simultaneously um, to, to really start to shift things and to have a real paradigm shift occur. Otherwise, if we're only just addressing these the, the symptoms of an issue, we're never, we're never involving stakeholders and policymakers and change people who can actually implement new policy and implement new rules and regulations to change something so that it changes sustainably forever. Um, you know, I, my business partner, Mel Wymore and I, we have a company called Big Change Makers. And what we do is we, we, we work with and we empower uh, emerging change makers, people that really legitimately want to make a difference in the area, of, in the fields that they work in. So whether that be education, mental health, uh, you know, you, leadership, um, you know, more about leading from the back than leading from the front. Um, but, you know, anything, homelessness and poverty, the environment, whatever it is that they want to work in, and they're already working in that field, we want to help them become leaders in their field to create the changes that they see that something's missing, obviously, in the community that they're working in, their organization, their corporation, even their home life. What is it that they really want to change? And then how can they take that to scale and have it you know, be a ripple effect. I know everyone uses that term today, ripple effect, but really it's like taking it to scale. And what we've noticed so far with the work that we've been doing since 2008 is that, is that this technology works. It works to, to have people get very clear on what they stand for and then to source the design of their project from that space. And when they source it from that space, it, it, it creates the type of results that they want that we can track. And that's when we know we're creating sustainable results because there are a lot of people that say, you know, I'm, you know, I inspire this many people or I do, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and that's wonderful. I mean, I get inspired every day by people who inspire me. It's wonderful. But how do we make that be a trackable, measurable result for then how that person that who's inspired gets off their couch and then goes out and makes a difference in the world. If mm -hmm. we can track that, then we know that that's becoming, I mean, that's becoming like a system change, right? Um, but if we can't track those results, it's more kind of like pie in the sky, sort of we're guessing that we're, yeah. that we're inspiring people, that we're making a difference, but we don't know for a fact. Absolutely. And you're spot on because we need to also show the evidence how bad current condition and state it is to create a sense of urgency in order to really also corral people to have a change, right? Or desire that change or see what's possible. Yeah. And also data shows uh, what impact it's being created and what's influence being created. And since like you have a, also the great data showing how much your reach is and, and what you're doing. But I'm glad you explained a little bit more about your social impact from, from change making standpoint, because we need a more change makers committed to that excellence and support because plethora of issues that we're dealing with and we can't possibly address them all, can we? We can't. And, but the thing is, you know, what's so fascinating to me is that as a collective, you, me, and, and so many others, you know, we all have our certain areas of expertise. 
you know, mine, mine is media, right? You also are media. So it's like, you know, we, I mean, in addition to other areas of expertise that you have, but it's, you know, we work in media. And so, and, and my mentor has always said to me, you know, some people will say like, like just, just, just say for an instance, they work in um, the healthcare industry. That's what they do for a living, but they want to change the environment. And so it's not that they can't change the environment. They, they can be a change maker in the environment, but I, I've always been taught to start where you are, start where you are an expert, because that is where you have the most leverage and that is where you can have the most access points. So, you know, with me making a change, I looked at, okay, well, how can I make that change to address the things that matter to me that I really want to cause change in? And I said, okay, well, that's, I'm a, I'm a media expert. So I started using what I know to, to create and co-create messaging that creates new narratives and addresses things that are really important to me that make a difference for me and the people that I care about and other people that I've spoken to. I think that it's important to look at where you are and and then start there and look at, okay, how can I transform the industry in which I work in? And then from there, it all, it all sort of goes from there. So like I, for, you know, and you know this about me, I, you know, I'm very, I'm a, a huge advocate for mental health. And while I'm not a mental health professional, that's not the area that I work in. I, I use media as a vehicle to support mental health messaging because that's something that I'm very passionate about. And I'm, I've been involved in just conversations about mental health because it means a lot to me, but I know that that's not the industry I work in. So I use the vehicle that I know to get those messages out there to break the stigmas. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that is very powerful. And it's also a great opportunity for others to think through what they're so good at it and what they can contribute and, and, and be part of the movement because you're able to create tremendous movement and optimize all of that, right? Yeah, well, yeah it, it's, it's, and one thing we've really learned about movements too, because that's a really interesting uh, topic is, you know, there's, there's so many great movements that are created and they're, they are created. I would, I, I would like to assume that they're created with the best of intentions when they're created. That's, I, I believe that people, create movements in response to something something's happened and then a movement arises because of something's happened however what we've seen is that activism work a lot of it is being created on an unconscious level and so these a lot of movements are being designed in an unconscious way not for any other reason just that people when, when we create anything, a project, a movement, whatever we're working on, again, if we're not sourcing our inner capacity as a leader and sourcing from our universal values, which is not just for ourselves, but for all others, if we're not sourcing from that space and we're creating from a divisive narrative, which is an us versus them conversation, which is very natural for us as humans to fall into, so if we're not creating from that heart-centered value, universal value place, the movements that we create are going to be a reflection of an us versus them conversation. And that's how they're going to roll out. And that's how they're going to occur. And that's what's going to happen. So instead of bringing people together to fight for a cause that is so important for everyone to live in peace and harmony, these sometimes the movements can end up dividing us further, unfortunately. 
Sometimes they don't and sometimes they do, but it's important for us to look at how we design them so that the old ways of activism that we used to have, which supports that us versus them narrative, that we don't do that anymore, that we shift that. Mm. I love what you just said, because with everything that we do comes responsibility, right? And all the times we don't know where things are headed because everything is so involving and growing. And we've seen quite a bit of movements that came in the recent years and turned out disastrous because as you said, they divided more people than brought them together. And then also created um, very different outcome as a result of it, what maybe was originally intended and how important it is to adjust because what something might be looking today, a right might change tomorrow and then know what your values are and what you stand for and what you were willing to compromise and what you're willing not to compromise on. So I think it's a, again, very, very um, pointed uh, perspective because we have to take a full responsibility for it, don't we? We absolutely do. We have to be accountable for all the messaging that we're putting out there and everything that we're creating. We, it, we have to be, I mean, it's, it's uh, otherwise, how are we going to unite each other? How are we going to unite ourselves? How are we going to know that we have the power to sway people's opinions? I mean, it's an interesting thing because, you know, as influencers, we're all influencers in some capacity. I mean, whether we're known on social media or not, or known in film or not, we're all influencing somebody. It could be someone in our family. We're yeah. all responsible for our communication. And it's like, anytime we plant a seed in someone's mind or their heart about a certain narrative or a certain idea, and then we and then we see how that seed grows and flourishes in a human being, whether it be a child, a youth, or an adult. It, it, it sometimes it can go in a negative way. Sometimes it's positive when we're planting those seeds again from our universal values and our heart space. But sometimes it goes the opposite direction. And when we don't take responsibility and accountability for for then having those deep conversations to to work through whatever we may have contributed to that person's opinion or their way of learning or their way of being, it's, it's, I consider it being very irresponsible. And I think that, I think that as, as activists and as people who are influencing and putting messages out there into the world, we have a huge responsibility, a huge responsibility. And it's in my personal opinion, (laughs) if we're going to change things and unite humanity, we need to get to work at looking at the kind of messages we're pushing out there. And it's, it's up, it's really up to us. I mean, it, it truly is up to each one of us to, to take a deep look at that. Mm, I can't agree more. And I love that you're touching on too, because so many people crave, it's like, oh my God, if I can just get a followers, if I can get a visibility, but then it's like, we're getting visibility for what? Yeah. What do you stand for, right? We had that conversation before and how many people don't have you know, the cause or interest or gift, and it's, they think it's just all about them. But in reality, when we are making impact, we're automatically turning into influencers because then you are also influencing others. A lot of people just want to be influencing without making impact. And that's where the caution comes in. You know, it's like, you want to be known for what purposes and what, what actually it's all about your leadership and legacy, what you want to be known for, right? 
so with that in mind, Amanda, do you mind sharing a little bit? Obviously, you are being impactful influencer. You have a great following on YouTube, great following on LinkedIn and Instagram. So I'm curious, um, how did you grow your brand? And am I right about how much impact you created and as a result, influence followed? Or was it the other way around? Please tell us. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know, Isabella. I've been doing it. I mean, it, I haven't been utilizing social media for that long but I've been doing this work for a long time. And mm -hmm. with and with my partners and I too, my mentor, I think that because of the amount of years I've been doing it, when I started taking to social media and using that as a tool to make that difference or to start pushing sort of those messages out, um, it resonated with a lot of people. And, you know, I, I um, I think that in, and I was speaking to one of my friends the other day and I, she, she was saying to me, and she's a very, I mean, she's a very impactful coach, uh, extremely, extremely effective coach. And she was saying to me, you know, that humanity, and this goes directly to, you know, your, your, your leadership on, on, on LinkedIn, humanity is, um, you know, is, has the, ha, has the, has, has the sort of this ability just to be very resigned and, and, and often pessimistic not believing that they or us that we had the innate ability to actually make a difference mm -hmm. and i think that when people can get present to that they themselves are the one not in a narcissistic egotistical let me be the next guru type of person not that but when they get present to that they are the one like rosa parks she's a perfect example betty williams from ireland when they got present to that, they were the one to just stand up at the back of the bus. Betty Williams said, this is not okay. She was a secretary in Ireland and said, this is not okay. When they decided that those things were no longer okay, they're just regular citizens like you and I. They said, we're not going to do this anymore. And so I, it's, it's, it, and the thing is that I don't believe that Rosa Parks or Betty Williams went out there looking for fame. They didn't, they didn't go out there looking to be like an influencer. They went out there to ca cause a massive shift in an area that didn't work for them. And they mm -hmm. did it. And as a result of them doing that, they, of course, then were elevated to this status. But I don't believe that that's what they went. They didn't do it for those reasons. They did it because they saw an inequality and an unfairness occurring and, and in a great injustice. And they said, enough is enough. I love that example. And what you just demonstrated is when we follow our heart, our passion, when we do whatever we can, even though we don't think that our uh, contribution may make some impact, but we create still that impact. And then we create a ripple effect. <laughs> Another favorite word of yours. Uh, just kidding. Uh, then we have this opportunity also to influence. And this is the trajectory how it's been made and always works. Uh, right, just the scale. Some just the question is how much is scaled, and with the social media and everything else. And I love because a lot of people will ask how things are happening, why they're happening, but they don't realize 
there has to be value, has to be something that it's genuine, that is not staged. And at the same time has to be for the right cause that is not self-serving, that is also revetering humanity. Yes. And that's why, you know, when I, when I think about you, you're a good, for me, it's, you're a good example of someone who, I mean, everybody knows who you are, you know, you have your own podcast, you have your own show. And so people know who you are, but you still lead from the back, which is that it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, some people call lead from the back. Some people call it servant leadership. I wouldn't say it's really servant leadership. Um, someone the other day told me that that's how I am. They told me that I'm a servant leader. I said, it's not exactly the same thing. It's, I mean, it can be considered similar. And that is because, you know, I, 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 I'm involved in co-creating other leaders to stand with me beside me as a leader. I'm not the one leading the way and they're not following me. And that's not the type of leadership that I, first of all, I, I don't, that's not, the that's not the type that I teach. It's also not the type that I empower people with. We empower people with the tools to become the leader. I'm not their guru. They don't look at me like that. I, we're equal. You know, I may have some tools that they don't have and they've got tools I don't have. So there's, there's, there's like a, an equal exchange of both student and teacher learning. I mean, even my mentor who's in her seventies, who's been doing this for 50 years, she still says I'm a student, you know, and it, it's that, it's that kind of humble leadership that, that I've found is the most effective. It's, I found that, in, and, and I'm not saying that people who lead differently are not effective because they are, we, we see many of them being very effective in the world. I just often wonder, you know, I, I see how effective they are as an individual, but I often wonder how effective they are in how many leaders they've created in the world. Mm. And, if they, and if they've tracked that, change makers. Wow, that is deep and profound. Thank you so much for actually highlighting me in that in that mix. Because, um, but also wanted to just to say, um, genuine leadership, and and I love this distinction between actually leading from the back and then servant leadership. I, I agree with you; it's a two different things, but are great components, great skill sets to have, which you obviously demonstrating very very well. But you write, how do you measure that impact? And, and are you producing other leaders? Who is truly following you? Because they identify with the value, with the, with the, with the, with the mission, with the vision, with the outcome, so that they want to contribute, right? And they want to engage. Um, because right now we need more of those transformative, innovative leaders that are willing to do in the new ways, things are never done before, right? Yes. Because right now we're in the world of social media, digital footprint is here to stay. It's rapidly expanding and growing in so many different dimensions. And how do we capture stories? How do we capture all these causes and how do we move the needle? And since like you have some great answers here. Well, it's just, I mean, you and I have had this conversation and I love this. It's like, how do you, how do you as a change maker and a leader know that you're having an impact in the world? And to me, the only way that I can measure that is seeing how many change makers I co-create because it's mm -hmm. like, it's like when I die, how many change makers did I co-create in the world that are now making change in their areas that they want to make changes in how many of those and then we work we're all working together as a collective 
to make this global change. But it's like, if we can't, if we don't have evidence of other change makers and leaders that we've, that we've, you know, empowered to step into their greatness, if we don't have evidence of that out there and we're the only leader with a bunch of followers and people have to continue coming to us for the advice, for the guidance, for the leadership, you know, like we're their guru, then how do we know the impact we're having? Uh, the, the, the only way I know I'm having an impact is when I can see the people I'm working with that I'm, let's just say mentoring for lack of a better term, or that I'm empowering that I'm working with, when they're leading the charge in their industries and they're the ones creating systemic shifts. And I'm like, okay, there we go. There's my evidence that I had an impact in the world because that person is now a, a, a change maker in their area. Mm. I love that. And also creating room and space for new change makers, right? And, and then collaborating because needs are tremendous and opportunities are exponential. And I, well, I love how much you emphasize on a collaboration, but also love because as you know, we're here on the Legacy Leader Show. And one of the things that I always pay attention is who are the leaders that are living and leading at the current time, not only their mission, but also that are really leading with the power that is creating impact. Because to me, it's all about impact, right? And what that impacts look like. Is it positive or is it negative? Is it from what intention or whatnot? Because then ultimately what people don't understand is ensuring that you are also going to leave phenomenal legacy behind. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I'm curious, what would you like to, you already have a tremendous trajectory, but what would you like your legacy to be? I want to co-create 1,000 new leaders before 1,000 global change makers before I die. Wow, that is very specific and very clear. Uh, movers and shakers on global scale that can carry on the work and move forward. Wow. Amanda, you've been through a lot of yourself. And one of the things I want to circle back, which I want to now leave the audience with something very powerful. You've been going through a lot of changes in your life from early on. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself so that people can see if you can still do what you do, that it's no reason and no excuse not to do what they can. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what you've been through uh, so that they can understand not only where this power and drive comes from and a tremendous determination, but how it's important to unlock that with every other human being that is watching, listening, and coming across this content so that you can tap into the beautiful passion and unleash that and do the same. Everybody, everybody can lead change in the world if they want to and you know as a very very young child um my mom and my mom and dad got together when they were very young they both came from awful upbringings unfortunately um my family's from ireland and you know my grandfather was a protestant and he married my my catholic grandmother which was not okay because the Catholics and Protestants were killing each other for a long time in Ireland. So when you married outside of, you know, outside of your, your religion, it was, um, it was frowned upon. 
Um, and I'm not sure if that's why my dad's home life was, was so bad, but regardless, he was raised in, in a very, a very abusive home life. My mom, uh, came from a very difficult home life as well. And, um, she left home very, very young and she met my dad. Um, they were children when they had me and my sister and, they, when they split up, my mom was left, was left at 24 years old with my sister and I, and she had no support from her family, very little, if any. And she had, she didn't have any support from my dad's family either at that time. And we experienced be, being homeless and, and um, living in women's shelters. The YWCA is something I remember very clearly. Um, and also getting our food from the food banks and our clothing from churches. And, uh, you know, I recently, I recently was interviewed and, and I was telling this story and saying that, you know, I didn't really realize that anything was wrong with the situation because my mom was so great at making everything fun and making everything okay. You know, I never, I didn't feel like anything was really wrong. I mean, even at, even the women's shelters, we stayed in bunk beds with other women and their children. And so it was fun for me. I was a kid and I was playing all the time, going to school. But I noticed that as I got older, that, that people treated us differently. And I, and I didn't know, obviously, I had no idea what classism meant when I was that age, but I did notice that people did treat us differently. And I felt different because I didn't have the same things other kids had. I didn't have the new shoes or, you know, the, the best jacket. Sometimes, you know, we, when we, we, we bought our clothes a lot of the time from Salvation Army. And so there were things that I realized that, that other students that I was friends with in, in my classes, things that they had that I, I couldn't have. And it was okay. I, I understood that we didn't have the financial means to be able to, to have those things. I was okay with that. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I went to go live with my aunt, my uncle. Um, and then also my sister and I went to go live with my grandma as well. And she was a Catholic school teacher. She had more money and she dressed us a certain way. And, and I could see that, you know, that the way we were being dressed and the clothing we had was definitely different than, than what I experienced being younger. And then we went to go live with my dad. And um, when I was a little bit older and my dad was, you know, obviously a single dad with my sister and I, and he was still very young himself and learning how to be a father. And but he, he, he was really, he really loved us so much, just like my mom did. And um, he was just kind of learning as he went. And I remember the first Christmas where he had some money, he, he bought us a lot of Christmas presents. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced what it looked like to have a lot of gifts. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I mean, this is something that I would like to have forever, you know, be getting all of these Christmas presents at Christmas. And I, I think I made money mean a certain thing at that moment in my life that, you know, money made me feel happier or more valuable or more worthy because I could have the things I wanted to have. And when I went to school, I could be more like the kids at school. Um, but then I, I was very badly bullied in, uh, in grade six and grade seven. And those are things that, you know, I, I, they, I think those kinds of things always stick with you. And I have a couple of friends that I've had since then that are still my friends to this day that really stood up for me because I went, it was a new school that I went to and I didn't know anyone and I was trying to fit in and I didn't fit in obviously. And the popular girls bullied me for a couple of years. 
And when I turned 13 and went into eighth grade, which is the first year of high school in Canada, I had a really good year. I made a lot of friends and I could tell that I was liked by people. And so I started to feel like I was more worthy and had more value. And then the bullying began again, though, in ninth grade, when I went to go live back in Ontario in Canada. So just those experiences right there, just um, the homelessness and living, you know, in poverty and then being bullied. I think for me, I've brought those experiences into my adult life, not in a way where I'm not healed from them, because I've, I know that I've worked on those things. Um, but they've, they've given me a sense of like, anytime I see someone dealing with something like that, um, someone that's being oppressed, someone that's got that, that, that doesn't have a lot, someone that's dealing with something like that. It's, it's an immediate, it lights a fire within me to want to see how I can contribute in a way to make a difference and co-create something to make a difference in that area so that those things don't keep occurring to other human beings. I wanted to see that kind of stuff stop with me. Um, unfortunately, it didn't. And there are a couple of people I just wanted to mention. Um, you know, Daisy Coleman, who was cyberbullied very, very badly. Um, I followed her case from 2012 onward. Um, and it was a, a horrific thing that happened to her. And she ended up committing suicide a couple of years ago. And then her mom committed suicide a year later, Melinda Coleman. And it's those types of things that, that because of my own personal experiences, I, whatever I can do that's in my power, that I have the that I had the ability to do to make a difference in those areas is something that I want to do because I remember what it feels like to go through those experiences. Um, and then, you know, if you wanted me to talk about the health thing, I'm not sure if you wanted me to go into that. That's something obviously different. Sure, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, because I really wanted to give a, a sense of for everyone to understand that it's never good perfect timing and doesn't necessarily have to be personal experience to extend yourself and your talents to care and want to support someone. But especially for people like yourself and others that I had a privilege to work with in the past that survived some of the worst human atrocities and things that are being inflicted of by human hand and still overcame them and triumphed in the end and you know and showed kindness and compassion to fellow humans um how important it is to really show and also what can we do in process of healing but also what can we do in process of collaborating and again creating this tremendous impact and difference i love collaborating with you this is so wonderful i I think that each one of us has has the has the ability to turn our hurt into a superpower. Yes. Instead of going the other way, and I think that it's very easy to go the other way as well to become a victim and to play that to play to take on that role for a long time because being a victim is a very it's it feels a kind of like a safe space, not taking um not not feeling like we're empowered to take charge of our life because of whatever's happened to us. Um, you know, I, so as, I mean, I've, I've, I, I'm a rape survivor. Uh, I'm a domestic violence survivor. There, there's the things that have happened to me throughout my life that I think that could have had me shut down 
my heart to a certain extent. And I, and I, and, and I think that nobody would blame me or any, any person for doing that if they had been through certain things in their life. Like you, Isabella, I know you've been through, I mean, you've really been through it. And I don't think anybody would blame either of us if we became, you know, very cold hearted, guarded human beings as a result of those experiences. But something different happened for me. And I believe it's happened for you too, in that it's my heart widened it, it expanded instead of becoming smaller and and you know <laughs> i don't want to cry <laughs> um okay. but you know it's you know what i mean like my heart like expanded more and and thank you for what you shared so far and i really appreciate amanda being so vulnerable and because again i love that contrast because we live in very cruel uh, conflicting and cold world right now actually fortunately even though that is not the lens from which you and I are looking at the world and getting the views from the world no. but given magnitude of issues and plethora of complexities that are keep staring back right mm -hmm. uh, we obviously have a two choices be conduit in positive way or, or, or negative. Even if we're neutral, it's still considered negative just because complacency kills the most than anybody else, people's motivation, aspiration, goals, and will, because when they feel like the people just simply don't care, cannot even relate, uh, feels horribly def defeating. And I first of all want to kudo you for vulnerability, for sharing, uh, but also for really showing the contrast and I love what you said, we have a choice to be victim or we can be a victor. We have a choice to step up and as you said, shut down or open our heart wider because that just also shows how much pain and hurt is out there not to justify people's action, right? But how important it is to create opportunity for healing, opportunity for collaboration and opportunity for different narrative to be written. And since like you're rewriting some beautiful narratives here. We are. And it, you know, it's, I think that everything that we, we go through in life and everyone goes through adversities, every, everybody does, you know, um, obviously some more than others for sure but we all go through adversities in life and how we choose to take those wounds and those adversities and, and transform them, like I said, into a superpower so that we don't shut down so that we expand is, is I think the only way we're going to unite humanity. I mean, it's, I look at, you know, I look at all these different, these different sort of conversations that are going around about oh you know well these people did this to me and this these people did this to me and I'm thinking to myself okay I got that I, I hear you and you're you're valid and obviously truth is very subjective too because it depends on what we've been through our my truth is different than yours and that someone else's truth is different than mine some are obviously universal truths but those truths in particular you know so it's like how do we validate people not based on their opinions but based on because they, 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 we have compassion and dignity and equity for ourselves and all others. So how do we, I don't think our opinions are what's going to change the world. It's, it's our values and what we stand for. That's going to change the world. Absolutely. Everyone's gotten, 
opinions are like people just fight constantly and debate about opinions and that's fine i have no interest in joining a debate club because it's not <laughs> i would rather just listen to what your truth is share my truth and then be like wow i didn't know that i know i would love to listen to someone that has a completely different experience than i've got and learn from them and be like wow and then all of a sudden have my perception of something completely shit because of what I've learned from someone, not from out, out of the gate, make them wrong because they have a different opinion than me or they have a different experience. I mean, there's, we can't solve anything by doing that. So how do we create these safe spaces where people can be fully self-expressed, but when they're fully self-expressed, and I use that term very carefully because in this country, especially when it comes to the amendments and being able to have, you know, freedom of speech, a lot of people don't use that responsibly. And so how do we create safe spaces where people can have freedom of self-expression, but know that they're standing in universal values for everybody else in that space, as well as themselves. So it's like a respond and realize, like we're listening to someone and we're listening to something that might trigger us or might have triggered us in the past, but we're not gonna let that happen this time because we're gonna do a deep, deep, deep listening and a deep dive into what they're saying and really get where they're coming from. And then we're gonna be able to share with them too. It's something it's, you know, it's, it's, that is such an important, an important exercise for all of us to do, to really listen to each other and listen to one another and, and, I, and I don't, I don't think we do that enough. I really don't, but I think we can, I believe that we can create those spaces where we listen to each other. And I, and I believe that that is what's going to shift really for all of us. It's going to bring us together when we can learn to listen to each other. And can I just give one example of that? Sure. It's, you know, when I think about, you know, men and women is a really good example of that. You know, there's, there are a lot of, groups in this world who may not want men and women to work together, you know, on both sides, or, or they're saying that, you know, women are one way and men are this way. And I don't see it like that. I see that women and men provide something for each other. That is it's beautiful, harmony, harmonious relatedness and relationship with each other and that they're equally as valuable men and women both and so how can we work together instead of dividing us and fighting because it doesn't make any sense to me because we're we're allies and we can work together and so I'm very committed to uniting humanity and working on uniting not just the sexes but you know in uniting everyone from every different background, you can be proud of who you are and have dignity in who you are. And let's work together. Let's get to work on, you know, solving some of these big things that are going on in the world. And let's, let's you and I have these conversations, these difficult conversations. Let, let's listen to each other. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, Leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.